Oh, would you open your uh, Bibles? Um, we're going to touch on a couple of scriptures before we get to our main passage in Revelation. The first one comes from Psalm 137. Those of you who in your, in your um, daily time with God uh, work your way through the scriptures. Many of you read a psalm a day or a couple psalms a day. And uh, that has just blessed me since 1986. Just, just blessed me as I didn't, couldn't find words to express what I was feeling inside. And I would go to God's word and, and the sons of Korah or David would just articulate exactly what I was feeling. But there's this place in Psalm 137 where, where the psalmist is lamenting when, when, um, the culture around us wants us to be happy and to sing and there's something broken inside of us. They were, they were captive in Babylon and, and the Babylonians love the Hebrew music and say, sing us another one of those, one of those songs that's like Scar and the Lion King. Oh, sing something cheerful, right? And, and, and there's not a song in your heart. Psalmist says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the trees there, on the willows, we hung up our musical instruments, our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs. Our tormentors required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The psalmist said. Now turn over, it's right, right toward the, old of the, the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the last four books of the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3. In the middle of this, we'll flash our memory verse on the screen. I'll invite you to join with us. But Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 14. Verse 14. Again, this time not our tormentors, not our captors, but but. God speaking to his children, sing aloud, O daughters of Zion, Zephaniah 3.14, shout, O Israel, sing, shout, God says. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst and you shall never again. Fear evil. On that day, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion, and let not your hands grow weak. And here's our memory verse. Would you read it with me? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The address is Zephaniah 3.17. He continues, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in 
At that time when I gather you together, I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The very word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Now, if you would just flip open to our passage for today, it's in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. It's a little bit of a long passage, so I just want to highlight a couple things for you, and then we will read a portion of it together. We're um, in the midst of one of the sevens, right? We've seen that over and over again. Seven letters to seven churches. Kristen helped us understand the big picture when we explored the seven seals together. Kyle helped us understand the, the, um, the, some of the judgments of God as we looked at the seven trumpets. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've been in the seven visions or signs that God gave to uh, the Apostle John. And, and we've discovered that in each of the seven seals, seven trumpets, we, um, he gave seven thunders that we haven't heard about yet. He gave seven visions. We're going to see in the next couple of weeks the, the judgment of God and the seven seals. In each of these things, he's telling the story over and over again. And so in the midst of pain, there is joy. In the midst of judgment, there is, uh, there is forgiveness and, and worship. Uh, there's beautiful recapitulations of the story of God in the revelation of John. Last week, we were introduced to some terrifying characters, right? We saw um, uh, the woman, Israel, being surrounded by the red dragon, Satan. We were introduced now to the characters in all of these portrayals. We, we saw that, that this red dragon, this adversary, this accuser, uh, was, was um, uh, trying to be like God. And we recognize in that our own struggle, our own temptation to want to be Lord over our lives. We saw also that in every culture, but very likely in the very end, will arise this beast. Remember that from Daniel? This, this beast who will, um, who will draw attention to himself, who make all kinds of promises that he can't keep. And then in the midst of those promises, will break every one of them. And will um, will draw many to worship the dragon, to worship Satan. And then the third member of this false, unholy trinity we saw last week was the false prophet, someone who arose now not from the world outside, but from within the the people of God, and 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 caused people to worship the beast instead of Jesus. So right in the middle of that, we stop now and we're picking up the story. Look, just note for later study that in Revelation chapter 14, then we're introduced again to the Lamb, right? And look in verse 4. Um, it, is, it is those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind, verse 4 of Revelation 14, as the first fruits for God and, and the Lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. What is he saying? He's saying in the midst of the cultural wars, in the midst of the spiritual battle for human hearts, there are those who remain faithful. 
There have been. There are now. In the very end, there will be 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel who will be faithful. Look in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Yeah, it's a hard day today, but the hour of his judgment has come. So worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and the spring of water. Two more angels reveal what will happen in those last days. Babylon, this image of the world, will fall. Um, the, the angel, the third angel, will declare, you are going to be marked by one of two things. You're going to be marked by either the world or you're going to be marked by the name of the living God. Look in verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, for those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord for now on. Blessed, says the Spirit, indeed are they that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then then he introduces yet another image that's going to anchor us today. John says, I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of of man with a golden crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. And an angel came out from the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. We'll come back to this. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven. He too had a sharp sickle. And yet another angel came up from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called out with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. For the angel swung his uh sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest. We saw the grain harvest a moment ago. Gathered the grape harvest of the earth, threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city. And now grape juice has been translated into blood and the blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 Stadia or 184 miles. Wow, I agree. Wow. Well, cheerful Mother's Day message. Great design, Pastor Dave, choosing this on Mother's Day, right? I um, uh, It is about judgment today, beloved. We have to understand that judgment is coming. Do you, do you understand how that is both good news and bad news? It's good news in the fact that, that all your suffering, all the uh, things that have been done to you, all the things, all the hurt and the pain that, that never seem to, to be accounted for right, God says, 
Vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of that. Those things will be taken care of. God is just. So it's really good news, right? For, for those who have experienced injustice. It's really bad news for those who are perpetrating it, right? And then, hold on, I never want to leave you just with a depressing thought like that. Um, there's a great, remember this great gospel the angel spoke of? There's a great gospel that can make all the difference in the world. I was smiling a moment ago because when I was very young, um, um, I had three older sisters. We were all four of us in four years. And I have shared with you before, I ate a lot of mud pies when I was growing up, right? And, and I was beaten up. Virginia, if you're watching, I remember, okay? Marilyn, I remember that time you threw that can of peaches at me. <laughs> There's justice, right? <laughs> but um, one time I was, uh, I was small enough that I was still in a crib, but I could crawl out of the thing, right? And my mom knew that. Um, I don't remember if dad was just at work or if he was remote at that time, but... Um, I was in the room, a dark room with my sister, and I heard this little voice say, crawl out of the crib and open the door, right? And gullible me um, says, okay. And so I clamber out of the crib and I open the door and I had a vision of justice when I opened the door. And, and she was standing there <laughs> right outside the door. I don't know why. To this day, I think I can put something over on my mom. Uh, but I can't. And and I remember two things. I, I remember um, sensing wrath. Not not wrath is not uncontrolled anger, by the way. Um, wrath is measured response to injustice. And it was about that long, as I recall, the measured response. But I also remember uh, feelings for my sister about right then. Right. I remember. Um, uh, both the experience of justice and the great, great desire for justice. And Revelation 14 is very, very clear. God is just, and his judgment is coming. So, so um, I want to remind you, when those times like the people of Israel, when it's very hard to sing, when, when you've not experienced justice or You've not experienced the grace that comes on the other side of justice. God's not done yet. God is not done yet. So what is Revelation 14? I'm going to actually take it backwards. I'm going to take the message from the last third of Revelation 14. And then I'm going to take the one from the middle third. And then I'm going to take the message from the first third. But know this, that the judgment of God is inevitable. The judgment of God is inevitable. And it is intense. It is intense. In verses 14 through 20, God paints yet another picture of what the justice of God is like, and he uses a sickle to do that. Now, justice is not just wrath. Justice is also goodness, right? The first image that we saw there of the sickle was one like the Son of Man reaping the earth. In other words, gathering the harvest, right? And and the first picture is this grain harvest where God will gather all the saints to himself who trust in him. You hear the good news even in the midst of justice? If you are able to trust in God, if you are able to receive 
His mercy and grace. He's going to gather you to Himself. There is going to be incredible wrath that's poured out on the earth, but God will have already gathered you to Himself. He will gather all the saints who trust in Him. And then He gives a second picture. The first one was of the grain. The second one is of the grapes, right? And He chose that imagery because of how they processed grapes to make wine, right? And, and they processed them by putting them in a big bin and then they would stomp them or find some way to crush the grapes. And as the juice flowed from those crushed grapes, it became the wine. And, and, and God is using imagery here to remind us that he will crush every sinner who turns from him. So, so it's not a popular thought in our culture. We paint a picture of a God who is not just, but one who is, who is just this, this cosmic good old boy who gives us everything he wants. And, and, and we're vastly mistaken if we do not understand that. And beloved, who know the Lord, we are vastly mistaken if we do not understand that those whom we love who do not know him, right? That is the future before them. Do you sense the urgency of the gospel of Jesus, right? We have but a short time to reveal to them the true goodness of God. We have such a short time to reveal them the nature of God. Every person that you meet, everyone you lay eyes on will come face to face with God. Every person. And either you will stand by yourself in your sin or you will stand with your Savior in faithfulness. Right? That's the incredible opportunity. There's still time, beloved. Jesus came to earth to say God is for you, right? Not against you. His desire is not that any should perish. There's this, this invitation of God now to depend not on your own goodness, but on His goodness. Right? His goodness. So we live in the midst of a culture that is redefining everything around us. And, and it's calling what, what God calls sin, is calling it good, and He's calling what, what God calls good, calling it sin. And, and should, should God not bring revival, then, then it's only going to get more difficult in the days and months and years ahead. Sessions wrestling with that. What will, what will um, church look like in a culture that is increasingly, increasingly antithetical to God? It's opposed to the things of God. Isaiah 5 comes to my mind, 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do you see? We're doing an exact exchange of what God calls good and calling it evil. We're taking an exact exchange of what God calls evil and making it good. So do not miss this. I love, I love talking to you about the grace of God. And that grace is still available. But you don't understand grace unless you understand the judgment of God, right? And that, that's one of my failings, and that's one of the failings, I think, of, of the North American church is that, that we just expect people to understand grace when, when they haven't wrapped their brains around the measured anger of God toward 
brokenness and sin. So the judgment of God is inevitable. It's going to be intense. But we who worship on earth, how we worship on earth, who we worship on earth, those things determine where we go in eternity, right? If you've not sensed it in Revelation, the great temptation of the evil one is for you to worship the world and your own desires, your own flesh, and the evil one himself. And one day it will be so stark. One day it will be so stark that there will be no mistaking those who... The Revelation describes it as it's imprinted on their foreheads and on their hands. That could be literal or it could be so obvious that it's as if it was written across their foreheads, right? Who you worship on earth determines where you spend eternity. Now, I just want to stop for a second. Some of you online, maybe some of you here in the room um, may not have wrestled with this aspect. Um, The Bible is very clear. Every soul is eternal. It's going to last forever. Uh, And that's not the question. The question is not, is it going to last forever? The question is, how will it last forever? Will it be in the presence of God or will it be apart from God? And and the picture of that which is apart from God is brutal. It is brutal. Some of you will look at that picture in your studies in, in, uh, in Sunday school here in just a few moments. It is brutal. It is one of everlasting suffering. And a lot of people say, well, God would never do that. God didn't do that. We did that. We did that when we denied his grace. So the judgment of God is inevitable and intense, but who we worship on earth will determine where we go. Now let me stop for a second and say not just how we worship with our lips. There's an, uh, a besetting sin among the people of God from all the way back to, the, to um, Adam and Eve, all the way through the people of God to the church now that, that, that somehow you can worship God with your lips and not your life, Right? Who we worship, not just with our lips, but with our life, determines where we go in eternity. And again, Isaiah, I'm so faithful in speaking the truths of God, says, speaks for God. God speaks through Isaiah saying, this people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Isaiah 29, 13. So reflecting again on the imagery of either the grain harvest or the or the grape harvest. Let's just anchor ourselves. Everyone who indulges in the enticing wine of this world, right? Press pause again. This is not a polemic against drinking alcohol. Um, Jesus drank alcohol, right? It's not a polemic against uh, teetotaling or alcohol. He's using the imagery of crushed grapes becoming wine to speak of his judgments. All of those who who are enticed by the wine of this world, and he's not talking about alcohol, he's talking about sexual immorality, he's talking about materialism, he's talking about self-centeredness. All who indulge in those things will one day drink from the everlasting wrath of God. Again, Babylon in apocalyptic literature is is literally a symbol of the intoxicating immorality of this world. The intoxicating immorality. And I want you to understand that don't 
you know, understanding of grace, let's not lose sight of the fact that our actions today have consequences tomorrow. One of the great lies of North American culture right now is that that your actions have no consequences. Somebody will fix it for you, right? Uh, and and we look to all sorts of other things to get us out of the consequences. Um, but don't buy into that lie. There will be consequences tomorrow, both of your sin. Gosh, this is about as hell and brimstone as I ever get, isn't it? But also in, in consequences of your good choices, right? God has made a way. When, when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ died for you, when you choose to believe that he paid the penalty for your sin, there's consequences of that choice. And the consequences are beautiful, right? Let's be very careful how we respond to the mercy of God. Let's be very careful how we respond to the actions of God. So, so um, secondly, all those who endure... All those who endure amid the trials and tribulations of this world will one day enter into the rest and relief of God. My heart has just been breaking this this week for the people. And, and it's happening all over the world, but in particular India right now. India is just in the midst of a traumatic wave of disease through COVID. And we have friends, we have missionaries in some of the poorest sections. Okay, if I can just go for just a moment on this. Bihar, India, where we have a missionary, a missionary couple, is the size of Indiana. I looked it up. Indiana has about 6 million people in it. Bihar has over 100 million people in it. And they're just being ravaged right now, right? They're just being ravaged right now. Even, even on on uh, the Kumar, the Kumar's um, missionary team, two of their of their partners in missions have died in the last few weeks of COVID. Daily, they're they're finding ways to help those who are in desperate need. This is a time of trial and tribulation, and Jesus never said that we would not have these. But how we endure in the midst of the trials and, and translate into that your own trials and tribulations. How we endure in the midst of those trials and tribulations. Well, one will, will help us to one day enter into the rest and relief of God. Again, that verse in Zephaniah. The Lord your God in your midst. He is in your midst. He's a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I want you to think about this thought for just a moment. If you, amazing courage, can sing to God now in your suffering, Zephaniah says he will one day sing over you in your salvation. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Remember the guys by the rivers, we laid down our harps for our captors there, required of us songs of mirth. Saying, sing us one of the songs of the Zion. And they're going, we can't do this. And you might be saying, I can't do this right now. I can't sing right now. I just invite you to risk stepping out in faith. It's not about where you are. It's about 
who he is. Sing. Sing. And, 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 and shout. Why is it that we, we're able to shout for our favorite sports team, but we can't shout about the goodness of God? Sing and shout, even in the midst of your suffering. And one day God will be singing over you. And I have such an image of that in my mind because I have, I have a daughter-in-law and a daughter who have babies and, and, and watching them sing over those babies, watching, watching the children who might be absolutely distraught watching them come to that place of peace as their mothers sing over them, God will one day sing over you. So risk, risk trusting him. My last thought today is, is, is this faithful followers of Christ will one day stand boldly with him. They will one day sing loudly with him. That's why I love every time he does one of these vision things. And we've seen six, we've seen five of the seven of them now. Every time he does one of this, it includes, it includes um, the judgments. It includes what's coming. But it also includes this amazing vision of the Lamb of God. Every time we sing loudly to him. Every time we're completely satisfied. In him, we make an amazing statement. We proclaim to the world the goodness of God. Come on up, worship team, would you? So let me just say there, there, is, um, there are consequences for your actions. There is a reward for uncompromising purity in the midst of the world, your own flesh, and the temptations of the evil one. There is a reward for those who hold on the purity of God. There is a reward for for unapologetic proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of the truth. What am I talking about? Those who, who shout as they consider God's incomprehensible works, right? Those who sing as they behold God's incomparable worth. There is a reward. So again, as John challenged us, he challenged us last week, the exact same words. He challenged us today, hold on, endure, endure, worship, and proclaim the gospel. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you that even in the midst of very harsh truths like these, that there is judgment coming. We've seen it five times now, God. You, you don't want us to miss this. There is going to be a recompense for our actions, whether they be actions of faith, where our recompense is eternal reward with you, or whether, uh, God, it is actions that reflect our trust in the world and the lies of the world, our own flesh, and the evil one. There is There are consequences for our actions. So God, grant us amazing courage, would you? To believe this precious gospel. To believe that, that God, looking at our plight, did what we could never imagine. He himself took on flesh and walked among us and lived among us and spoke to us words of life so that whoever, whoever would 
believe that he is the Christ. Whoever would put their trust in Jesus, who would ever have in the forefront of their minds and the, and the, the palms of their hands, the name of God, and whoever would live for him, whoever would shout and sing of the goodness of God might not fear, but might instead experience your presence, proclaim your greatness, God, offer to the world an amazing gift of grace. Offer to the world the, the very goodness of God. So God, once more, we're going we're gonna to say it. We're going to, as simply as we can, proclaim this truth that God is good. Amen? We're going to say it together. Say it with me. God is good. Would you say it a little bit louder? God is good. Now, I know this is going to press some of you, and you're going to feel silly, but those who shout it now, right, will be shouted over. Those who sing it now will be sung over. Let's shout it together as loud as you can. God is good. Here we go. God is good. Stand with us. Would you? Let's worship him together.